I'm Anna Dowhair. And on this episode of Reclaiming the Garden, we are continuing our conversation about uh, church experiences. Although, you know, we kind of talked extensively about like youth group and children's church and church camp mm-hmm. in the past episode, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit more about a few more like themes from our younger years that'll sort of be good to uh, talk about as we go into our stories about deconstructing uh, yeah. and our our experiences with church as we were doing that. So let's talk about uh, martyrdom and uh, missionary dumb. I guess. Yeah, we are jumping <laughs> right in. Because it was so funny, because as April mentioned, like, after last time's episode, um, or after our last episode on church, we were like, oh, wait a minute, like, there was so much more about this thing, what about this thing? We didn't even get to this part, we didn't even get this part. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we decided to do a part two of this episode. But yeah, I guess jumping into martyrdom and missionary world, um, as I mentioned before, the school that I went to was a school full of MKs, um, and for people that are not aware, that is Missionary Kid. Um, So it was very common to have kids at my school, like, show up halfway through the year because their parents had been on a mission for five years, or have kids leave partway through, and it was like, oh, I guess I'm never seeing this person again. Like, it was really common. Um, And as a result, like, a lot of what we would learn in school were about the different missionaries and our holiday or Christmas, it wasn't even holiday, because there's only one holiday in December, damn it. Um, (laughs) Our Christmas play was always, it would highlight a lot of the different missionaries, um, which was so funny, and I was like, oh my gosh, they're so cool. And some of them did good things, but also I think a lot of that has been painted with colonialism as well. Right, I mean, colonialism is, like, embedded into, like, missionary work. You know, I I believe this way you can... I mean, I believe that, like, if you're doing work in another country, it needs to mostly be, like, by local people, you know, like, by indigenous people indigenous to that country for, like, missionary yeah. work to work. I also just have a problem with, obviously, the word itself has just, like, have the baggage of colonialism, so I wouldn't really even use that word, but, yeah. Yeah, because I remember, like, we learned about a couple of them, and I remember certain ones I really looked up to, like, mm-hmm. I know we learned about, like, Gladys Aylward, who went to China, and, like, helped rescue, like, hundreds of kids from, like, as um, the Japanese army was, like, attacking China, like, mm-hmm. had to, like, guide them through the mountains and stuff. And then, like, there's another one called Amy Carmichael who would mm. rescue young girls who were, um, I don't know what the exact term is, but, like, the temple girls, like, who would, like, clean the temples and then be married off really, really young. Um, but then, like... Also, there were other ones that we learned about, too. And, like, I remember a lot uh, – and growing up in California, you learned about the California missions and then learning about that in a private Christian school. Uh, they were given a lot better rap than I think deserved. Um, I think the missions were centers of genocide. Um, Is this, but sorry, I remember these school- were, like, missions in California to, to Native peoples, or? Yeah, so the missions, um, it's so funny, because I'll bring it up, and then I'll forget, oh, yeah, not everyone had to, like, learn about the missions <laughs> system. Um, the missions were, like, these churches that were built all along the coast of California, and, like, some inland, too, but closer to the coast. And one is actually pretty close to where I live. I live close to the San Gabriel Mission. It's about seven minutes from my house. Um, and they were just these old churches, and they had areas for the indigenous people and the, some of them were like a lot of them were prisons mm. and then they had like vineyards on property and churches on property and it was like it's its own little like community in and of itself like its own little church community um and they were usually f- founded by spanish colonizers typically 
um, and you do see a lot of in a lot of like mission influence in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a kid, we would learn about how like, yeah, like they killed a lot of the Native American population, but they had to because they had to convert them to Christianity. Uh... And it's like, as a kid, I was like, yeah, I guess so. But like, as I've gotten older, of course, it's like, what? Like, why did we give this like so much? Like, why did we learn so much about this? Like, it's not. But, like, we didn't learn about it as a dark spot in American history. It just kind of either it was what it was or it was considered a good thing because it was all in the name of mission work. Yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely grew up hearing very positive narratives about missions work. Um, and, you know, one of the final, like, at my last summer camp, the the guest speaker uh, who gave sermons, like, every night was, uh, a, or at least, yeah, was maybe formerly uh, a, a missionary um and he talked about some of his experiences in Africa he probably didn't say the name of the country in Africa that he was actually a missionary because well, Africa is just one big country <laughs> obviously um yeah and I mean definitely just like uh there yeah another even when I was in, t- attending the young adults group and and we'll get into that in a little bit later um I was still attending the young adults group at the church I grew up in and yeah there would be a missionary who came to speak and she was actually she was actually a a woman and they let her like sort of speak in this little q a style interview you know it's the first, only time i would have ever heard like a woman speak at the front yeah. during a service yeah um and then like i talked to her afterwards and she was like oh like subscribe to my newsletter so you can hear about like what i'm doing in i think i think the czech republic or i i forgot mm-hmm. no well wait she said pray is that in the czech republic um i think Prague is, oh yeah, I think it, I think it is. Um, I believe so. It's like all sort of Eastern Europe, which is actually interesting you say that because I know that at my old church, like my childhood church, there were quite a few mission trips into like well, the Czech Republic. Well, because it's one of the most atheist and, nations, like in, or at least that's the rhetoric around it. Like I remember yeah. talking about how like there are like a very, very small Christian population there. So... Which, like, I guess makes sense, because I know that under the Soviet Union, it was a very atheistic regime. Society. Yes. Yeah, it was an atheistic regime. Um, because also at my old church, they did a mission strip to Lithuania, which is another mm-hmm. Eastern European mm-hmm. country. Though they have a pretty, I think their Catholic population hung on pretty mm-hmm. tightly throughout the Soviet, um, mm-hmm. throughout the Soviet regime. Um but I know that also Lithuania had a very big Jewish population, and a lot of them. And a lot either, of a lot of yeah. evangelicals would not consider the Catholics to be Christians. So I know that I didn't. I didn't back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I was like, they pray to saints, and it's like that's not what they actually do. They like. I mean, I know it's not. <laughs> uh, for anyone listening, if you like us, had misconceptions about Catholics. Catholics pray to saints the way that we ask like our loved ones to pray for us. So. That's sort of how it works. Yeah, and I don't think that there's anything wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think yeah. at the time it was like we, it was always taught like oh if they're making false idols like they're breaking the second commandment by making false idols out of the saints mm-hmm. and out of the Virgin Mary, but that's like not that's like just a gross oversimplification, mm-hmm. um, which I just think is it's so dumb, but. Yeah, I I think, honestly, to this day, I have, like, very mixed feelings about, like, missionary and mission work. Because I think Mm -hmm. if you are living in the country and you are living there full-time and you are actually, like, 
helping the population and developing relationships with the local community and you're staying there to help build business and like I think there's a way to do it from a more humanitarian standpoint but when you send a bunch of high school kids to go like build a church in Uganda and be like we did it and then take some pictures and call it a day like I don't think that's right Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm like, so glad. I'm so glad I never went on any of the like one week mission trips with my high school group. I just, I just didn't, you know. And like I, because I knew that there was something weird about like you know they're gonna take pictures with black children. Like I just or or brown children. I remember or, I always know. wanted to, but I was just like again I had stricter parents, and they're like uh, mm, no. Um, <laughs> but it, which I'm actually really glad about now that I never. Yeah went on any of those, but I did want to be a missionary when I was younger. Like, I wanted to grow up to be a missionary. Oh, yeah. So, my, one of my final summer camp experiences, like, it was on my, my last cry night, um, the last, last night of my last camp. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, I was having this very spiritual moment, and I felt that, like, God was giving me this calling, and the word that I sort of felt was missionary, and, um, you know, all sort of we can probably have a longer conversation about vocation in a later episode, but I feel like that was the word that God gave me at the time. The only word I could understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think when you're, when you are grown to believe that missionary only has one specific connotation, which is going to poorer countries or countries that don't have a big Christian population and like preaching at them for a week. I think that there are different ways to be quote unquote missionaries as well. And that's just like being a kind and loving Christian with no ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think like that being there, a mission based yeah. person is sort of how I think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then similarly to that, because I went to a heavily influenced missionary school, we had talks about being martyred a lot because I know we were going to talk about martyrdom. Um, And we see that a lot today in um, white evangelical America's persecution complex. But I believed the exact same thing. I thought anyone outside of my private school bubble was evil and they were going to try and get me to stumble off the straight and narrow path, which I guess they did get me off the straight path. But, you know, um, I think that would have happened regardless. Um, But I remember it was like it was praised if you wanted to be a martyr. um, Mm -hmm for for christ like it was very yeah, much like praise. i i imagine like the sort of i mean i don't know why did we i didn't talk about this when we talked about revelation yeah. like i imagine that sort of choice that you had to like make to denounce christ or be killed and it's like you know i imagine that in my head and i just think of it as like so fucking weird now <laughs> yeah and i know that around that time too um people were still talking about like columbine because it was such a big deal i mean granted that happened when i was five so but, like, a couple of years later, there was the whole, like, she said yes narrative. Yeah. Where, like, um, they asked... And by asked the way, it... uh, Fundy Fridays has a good video about this. Watch it. Yes, absolutely. I guess we can link that in the show notes, too. But it's, like, one girl named Cassie, I think, like, there was the narrative that one of the shooters asked if she was a Christian, and she said yes, and then was shot. Um, but that didn't end up happening and that's mm-hmm. not to negate the pain and the suffering that has been caused um to her family or to her friends or anything like that because she was still killed at columbine um but i think that some other people had overheard that they were asking people what they believed in or if they believed in god um and i believe one of the first people to get shot at columbine was like a very strong christian mm-hmm. 
And so, like, they asked her before she got shot. Like, it's, like, it happened, but not in the way that was told to me as a kid in Sunday school. Because, again, I was still, like, eight years old, and it was that whole thing, like, be prepared if someone has a gun to your head and asks you if you're a Christian, you have to say yes or God will deny you in heaven. And I'm, like, eight years old at the time. I'm, like, (laughs) and then I also felt bad because... I didn't want to be martyred. I didn't want to die. I was eight years old. I had so much more life to live, but I felt guilty for feeling that way because maybe that meant I didn't love God enough or I didn't believe what I believed in enough to be willing to die for it. So it was always like, it was always such a mixed bag of um, feelings, I guess, with that. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else like sort of about your experience of church growing up that is sort of important for us to know going forward into like when things started to shift (laughs) yeah oh goodness I think a lot of it can take place during that conversation but one thing I will bring up um because I'll tell people this and they'll be like wait what was as a nine-year-old I actually saw Billy Graham speak at the Rose Bowl um he was doing an LA I don't know if it was a tour maybe more of a residency again I don't really remember a lot of it because I was nine. The only things I remember was they were singing How Great Thou Art, and I just learned that song, so I was, like, yell singing it at the top of my lungs. Um, And then we left um, at the altar call because my parents didn't want to get stuck in traffic afterwards. Um, But, yeah, I don't really have recollection of it, but I just think it's, like, that's how far... And, like, almost everyone in my my church and school community ended up going because it was such a big deal. And even when... I would stay with my grandparents as a kid. It was always, like, they would always make us watch, like, the Billy Graham revivals on, like, TBN. So they'd show stuff from, like, the 50s and 70s and 90s and stuff. And So it was like, oh, this the, is the guy I saw on TV, and now he's speaking in real life. He's very influential in church culture, you know? Like, there are many pastors who po- follow what is called the Billy Graham rule. I think I brought mm-hmm. this up in our Purity Culture episode. But, you know, they, because of Billy Graham's example, they have decided to not ever be alone with women who are not their wife and it's just like gross Uh. yeah yeah the other thing I do remember was like they had a kids day which I didn't end up going to but I remember Mm -hmm. it was a big deal because jump five was playing (laughs) um and jump five was like a band back in the early 2000s they were on the Lizzie McGuire movie soundtrack and sang Shining Star so you can go back and listen to that but I guess they also had some Christian influence because they Mm -hmm. were able to play during like the daytime show of the Billy Graham revival. Hmm. Um, and then similarly to that, I don't know if you ever had to do, did you ever have to do Operation Christmas Child? Yes. As a kid? With the shoeboxes? Because that's um, not, that's Franklin Graham. That's yeah. Billy Graham's son. Franklin Graham Samaritan's is an Spurs. absolute, yeah, Samaritan's Purse. And Franklin Graham is um, terrible. Um, I have mixed I have mixed feelings about the Billy Graham legacy. I really do. Uh, but Franklin Graham, I can safely he say, is a tr- card-carrying it's Republican a, classic. Not even, like, He's, like, I, I would even hesitate, like, not even, necess- like, yes, Republican, but, like, Trump, like, hardcore Trump yes, Republican. Trump yeah. Yeah, like, and, because I remember when uh, Trump was getting, um, what was it, uh, impeached for the second time, mm-hmm. he said that the Republicans who voted to impeach him in the House were Judas, um, which... I feel like I must have seen that, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. Which, um, I'm sorry, Evangelical America, why aren't we more mad at this? You just compared uh, Trump to Jesus, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, what? Like, I never understood I mean, why people been, didn't get more mad. He's been Jesus in their eyes for a while, but especially I know. since... I remember... But then... 
I think it's also funny because all of Franklin Graham, like, a lot of Franklin Graham's audience turned on him because he got vaccinated, and he's like, thank you, President Trump, for this vaccine, and they were like, you're the devil. (laughs) No, this is sort of side note to this conversation, but also, isn't he, like, he has, like, male escorts, and they know him as Lady G, right? Like, that's a thing. What? Yeah, I think... I'll dump, I'll fact check this. Wait, let me just... Hold on, I'm going to look this up. Lady G? Yeah. Of course, Lady Gaga, stuff about Lady Gaga is going to come up. But, oh yeah, hashtag Lady Graham went viral. Oh, I think that was for Lindsey Graham. Oh. He's a senator in South Carolina. Okay, sorry, two different Republican Grahams. I just totally... Two different, (laughs) but simultaneously awful Grahams. Um... But yeah, that is the nickname among Lindsey Graham's uh, male sex-working friends. Which again, no issues if one wants to partake in a sex worker. No, but if he's gonna shame, if he's gonna shame queer people, and then like you know, and you know women, and yeah. say like keep your legs closed and don't get abortions, then like I will shame him all day long for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry about that. I mean, we can cut that out if you want. I don't <laughs> we can know. cut that out. Yeah, I'll see if, if there's a smooth area to cut it out, I will. If not, I'm leaving it in, because I think it's fine. Yeah, because I mix up the two grams. Um. All good. <laughs> yeah, for me, I guess one more thing I wanted to say. Again, yeah. um, this Christian music is going to be its own episode, but for now, you know, I did enjoy the contemporary style music um, mm-hmm. growing up in youth group that we had. You know, like, I I found it to be, like, I mean, obviously, it's, like, you know, it's how they attract the young, hip people is sort of my, my cynical viewpoint now, but, um, yeah, um... We're cool, I swear! Um, and, like, I remember, oh, yeah, I remember when I first started, like, going to, um, the church, my the youth group of my adolescence, like... Uh, there were people, I saw them start to, like, raise their hands, and I, like, didn't really get it at first. I didn't get why people were, like, raising their hands and closing their eyes, because, like, I wasn't really even, like, saved, quote-unquote, yet. Um, mm-hmm. But then I just kind of started to, like, do it, because I saw other people doing it, and then I think, you know, I started to, like, feel things, and then I, especially, like, after I actually, you know, on Crynet, when I got saved, I really was, like, feeling the spirit. But, you know, there is this sort of, like, sense of, like, Part of it's a bit manipulative sometimes, like, the way that the music and the way that, like, the cry night is set up. I feel like I talked about this, or I might not yeah. have. I, um, well, when we talked about cry night last episode, I don't know, I forget whether I talked about this, but mm-hmm. it's kind of the way that everything's set up feels a bit emotionally manipulative. And, like, you know, the the worship nights that have, like, the fog machines and yeah. it all just... And they're, feeling... like, talking about how, like, oh, you're terrible and you're awful and you were born sinful, but Jesus loves you so much. And especially if you're going through other personal issues, that can, like, really hit you hard. And that yeah. can even be more manipulative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that there is a way to create an authentic experience with contemporary worship that isn't manipulative, but particularly my experiences within evangelicalism. Like, I... Yeah. I mean, luckily, I I didn't grow up in, like, a church that was, like, so charismatic that people tried to, like, force you to get slain in the spirit. That did not happen to me. Uh, It does happen to people, though. There are people who are, like, you know, trying to, like, when they're... uh, I've heard experiences about people who are, like, praying. They're getting prayed over, and they also feel people pushing on their back to try to force them to, like, be what is called slain in the spirit, which means that they, like, sort of fall to the ground because of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. 
And we can definitely talk about this in a future episode. Like, I was reading Vicki Beeching's book, and she yes. had that exact experience. Like, she had that experience at a church camp. Oh, yeah. When she, she told them she told them that she was gay as, like, a teenager, and they basically did the whole you know, if speaking in tongues. Are you, like, reading and, that yeah. right now? Or? I actually just finished it a couple of weeks ago. It's such a good, like... I think a book discussion yeah. of that, then, would be a brilliant episode topic. Sorry that we're having yeah. so many side conversations that you're going to have to cut out, but... It's okay. But, yeah, like, I will definitely... Yeah, I think... And that can also be something brought up, like, with worship music, too, is, like, Vicki Beeching mm-hmm. and Jennifer Knapp and... The organization that I do social media for, Q Worship yes. Collective. Um, follow them on Instagram. It's me running it. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we can talk about that in a future episode too. But yeah, I guess getting back to the conversation. Getting to the um, point. <laughs> um. I remember at my first church, the evangelical one. Um, so the pastor who had been there for like 50 years retired while I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And the new pastor was like, so crazy idea. What if for the third service of the day, we had contemporary music and people got really, really mad about that (laughs) with like guitars. Cause the only thing they really had was like the piano and like a Mm -hmm. pipe organ. And then like for, special events they'd have like the little orchestra with and everything like that with, like a brass section um but i remember they got they were like oh no because the third service they were like we should do contemporary music for it and there was a lot of controversy surrounding it which i didn't mind i was like that's so cool yeah um there is this idea that like it's not as i don't, or i don't know where exactly I heard this, but that, like, it's not as reverent, or, like, oh, there's also the crazy idea from, like, the super fundamentalist that, like, contemporary Christian music is, like, the devil because of its syncopated rhythms. That's another thing we can, get into. we can get into that in the, our Christian music episode, but, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it is very important to talk about, too, though, because it's such an important yeah. part, it's, it was such an important part of our youth yeah. group and our Sunday school experiences. Yeah, um, there's, there's a video that I'll just link to in, in the show notes where this guy talks about why contemporary Christian music is demonic, so. <laughs> that is so weird. And, like, I understand that some people, it speaks to different people different ways. Like, I think liturgy is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. But I, like, I, I like connect. <laughs> yeah, but I think I connect more with contemporary worship just per- on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think liturgy is really beautiful. Like, I think, but as far as, like, regular church going goes, mm-hmm. I'm glad that my church does more contemporary worship. Yeah, I found a progressive uh, church that has contemporary music, too. But let's talk about how we got to... Our current progressive church, yeah, yeah. So you know, or I guess in terms of our timelines, I, I technically deconstructed a little, started to at least a little bit earlier in my life stage than you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you know, for me, it was just like my first semester of college, um, and you know, obviously part of that was like I didn't have like a regular church that I was going to as I was starting. You know, I was sort of. I was doing some church shopping with um, my roommate at the time, who was, Mm -hmm. like, also evangelical. Um, Well, she sort of said she was a Bible-believing Christian. That's code for evangelical. Um, And we tried different ones and ended up in this, like, Pentecostal church. Though I didn't, like, know that until I looked into it later, because they don't advertise as being Pentecostal. Yeah. Um, and something about it, like, always made me feel uncomfortable, but I just, I, like, just didn't say anything because she seemed to really like it, and I was just trying to, like, 
be her friend. Um, and now I, like, I couldn't really put my finger on why. And now it's like, of course I was uncomfortable. There was a whole sermon about the devil and they put red lighting all across the stage. Like they also had, they had, instead of having like a, uh, what's called a judgment day house. I think that's what Rachel Held Evans calls it in her memoir. Um, it's basically like a Christian version of a haunted house in the fall where but they, um, you like go to hell basically. Yeah. And you're like going through abortion clinics and stuff. It's, very much a product of evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, so instead of that, they had this, like, play that was... They, they had just, like, a play sort of where they presented it. I think it was only... Basically, it was sort of the same sort of message, but just, like, a play in the sanctuary. Um, hmm. So that was another thing. Um, and actually, I remember, like, going to just the service, like, before, uh, you know on the days where they were showing the play and it was like, you know, all the hell flames on like one part of the stage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and you know, the Easter service was just straight up a musical pageant and it was so weird. Very like rock star white Jesus. Um, and um, yeah, but uh, anyway, so we, we did try out like a few before getting to that. And we, we were also like, you know, first semester of college, so we also weren't, like, going every week. Too busy at times. Um, and then, of course, the uh, 2016 election happened, and that mm -hmm. uh, shifted, that was a lot, so much shit hit the fan that day. You know, um, yeah. I had a relative who passed away that night, and um, and also I found out that said roommate, evangelical roommate, voted for Trump. And so that ah. caused a lot of tension between us, and you know, the tension, I mean, like, I still kept going to church with her, but, um, and then, um, you know, that, that election, it was in November, and then I came, when I came home for Thanksgiving break, um, the church I had grown up in had actually shifted to a new, really, really fucking big building, okay? It's, mm. like, just, I just remember the, like, the, per, like, prevailing thought the whole time I, you know, it was, like, my first time coming back after having part of my college experience and I was just looking at everything and being like it's so big it's so big and feeling like so especially yeah. like with the fact that I knew knew that my my church had celebrated the election results and had prayed for prayed for Trump um like the night you know the day after the election um I just felt like so disillusioned like by going into there and seeing this like huge cafe and this huge like sanctuary that is like like, twice the size of my high school auditorium. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, that was the start of my disillusionment with church, I guess. How about you? <laughs> um, I think mine, because keep in mind, we are f quite a few years apart, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. Like, I graduated college in 2016, um, summer of 2016. Right. So that was before Trump had even been mm -hmm. elected. It was still a big joke that he was running. Uh, oh. But innocent days. Um, but I think it's weird because my disillusionment didn't start with church itself. It was more with the people I was going to church with. Um, and so in my first evangelical church, I didn't really have friends. Like they were all kind of, and I mentioned this in the last episode, it was very, they're very exclusionary towards me. Um, and whether that was because um, it was me or whether because their parents were like, don't hang out with her or something like mm. you never know. But it was just like, I was like, I don't even like going anymore. Cause I don't have any friends. There's no point. 
Um, and so we ended up going to this church that was being started um, by a pastor who had guest preached at our church a couple times before, um, but he also had preached at a summer camp, or not summer camp, what? A uh, church camp, winter camp that I went to. And he had started a church when our family was like, yeah, let's like try it. And we thought he was this really dynamic speaker because he is, he truly is. And we started going there and that church kept growing. Um, and I was able to go there for maybe about a year and a half before I went to university. Cause also I went to community college for two years. So I did live with my parents um, before going off to university and moving out. And I really didn't go to church at that point. Like I, again, I went to like one of like the ch on campus, like church organizations, but I started getting disillusioned because like I was really depressed mm -hmm. and I didn't want to hear like, just have you prayed about it? Have you done this? And it's like, yeah, and that does not seem to be working, but now I feel guilty because I'm not praying about it. Maybe quote unquote more than I can be. Um, and that's, I think mental health is definitely another episode for another day. Um, and so I kind of started really isolating. And in that isolation, I realized I was queer. Um, Cause then I had a bunch of time on my hands to start to kind of figure my life out. And I really was not feeling super comfy with being in like a church setting anymore. And I'd start going to Mariners, um, which is a big, big old mega church. Um, mm -hmm. And then I found out that they were super homophobic and their pastor was very questionable. Um, and it's the thing is, with mega churches, it is very easy to slip on by if you're not mm -hmm. planning on getting super involved in the church, which I was not. Um, I would just go Sundays and then I'd go home. Like it was, I wasn't like in any small groups. I wasn't volunteering or yeah, anything like that. Yeah, you could be invisible. That's yeah, like I guess that's the, that's kind of the problem with mega churches, but it was also weirdly like the privilege of that mega church was I could be queer and like be stealth about it. Hmm. But then I was like, no, I don't want to be in this environment. Like it feels dangerous. Mm -hmm. Cause like, what if they find out? What if they know? What if, uh, so I didn't, I stopped going and then I found a UCC, which was really welcoming and sweet. But by that point I was so not wanting to be in a church environment after the not great experiences I had had that it didn't matter that they were affirming it didn't matter mm. that the congregation was very welcoming um but it was like I can't be in this environment so I think I only went for a couple of Sundays and then I stopped going um so it sounds like um it sounds like you it wasn't like would you say was it hard to leave like the church you grew up in or like it was more of just a natural thing with you going to college and everything it ended up becoming a natural thing. I remember early on, I was like, oh, I'm such a bad Christian because I hadn't gone to church in a while. Because I think right before I went, I was going to church pretty consistently. Um, but I also was like, oh, man, I need to find a church. And I had like some of the some of my older aunties being like, you need to find a church out in Orange County. And there's plenty of options. Uh, spoiler, a lot of them are mega churches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, because I know Saddleback is one of them too. And then you have the Crystal Cathedral, which isn't called that anymore. It's called something else now. But yeah. And then you have like the Harvest Festival, like with Greg Laurie. And that's hosted in Costa Mesa, I think. Like, like yeah, there are lots of mega church options um, in Orange County. Um, and I just ended up at Mariners because that was like, oh, that's like where young people go. And they were right. But also lots of people go there because it's a mega church. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say I kind of stopped going throughout my university experience. I really didn't, I would still say I was a Christian, I guess, but I didn't know 
how much of it I even really believed or mm-hmm. what I believed at that point. Mm-hmm. Though I did start reading God and the Gay Christian towards the end of my university experience, which I understand that there are a lot of issues with Matthew Vines um, in some of his theology and some of what his beliefs about sexuality are. Um, but I also can't deny that that book really no, did it's, save me. Yeah, yeah. it's a really it's good, such a, again, it's like, that thing of having a complicated. Yeah, it's like that thing of having a complicated legacy. And I know that in the church I go to now, one thing that our pastor has brought up, um, knowing that most of the congregation is very queer, is that um, you might have gleaned some really good things from past churches, mm-hmm. and that's okay to hold on to the good things that you obtained from that and the communities and relationships. Like you can hold on to those. Like, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's how I kind of see, like, God and the Gay Christian. Like, it really, really helped me. I would recommend it for people who do not think that you can be a gay Christian or trans Christian. Like, I would highly recommend it for people. But with the stipulation that, hey, he doesn't really affirm poly relationships and he thinks sex should be within the confines of marriage. Do with that what you will. But this book really did help me. Like, mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't dive too much further into it, I guess, other than the book. Um, and then I think after that, I started getting, I just had really bad church anxiety for a couple years after that. Like, I hated going. If I went, I, I mean, had to sit in it, the very back or in know, the balcony. Yeah. The, the experiences that you had, like, impacted your body, you know? Um, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, it didn't matter because I'd still have to, quote unquote, I'd still have to go. And so I would, like, sit in the back or I'd sit in the balcony. And if I ever had to get any closer than, like, maybe the third row from the back. At this point, the church that I'd started going to had relocated to a high school. So it was in a high school auditorium. Um, If I had to go any closer than, like, third row from the back, I would just be, like, just, it would just, like, manifest all over my body. Like, I'd be clenching my fists or, like, pulling my hair, squeezing my arms and stuff. Like, it just, it was just, I just didn't like it. Um... And I think as time went on, I started to get a little bit more comfy, a little bit more comfy. I didn't like talking to people afterwards. I really, again, I could kind of go pretty stealth because I didn't, I was scared to get involved because I didn't want to hate my church if they wouldn't allow me to be a part of it. Um, And that's the thing with that particular mega church, they were never forthcoming about their positions on LGBT. Right. So people. many churches don't mm-hmm. do this. They they are not clear on their website. Honestly, just like lots of churches like that. I just look at their websites and even like outside of like a position about LGBTQ people, I'm like, I can barely find any information on this fucking website. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And then there's a part of me too, because I, it was like the church was near um, APU, which is an evangelical Christian university. So there were a lot of young people, like, quote-unquote, young people that went. Um, and they also had pretty big, not a big celebrity influence, but there were definitely people there with money. Um, fun fact, my dad actually was at church with my mom on Mother's Day, it might have been, and saw Alice Cooper wow. at that church. Um Oh, and yeah. it kind of it kind of threw Mother's Day out the window because then it was like, oh my God, Alice Cooper was in church. Um, but yeah, I think he only went that one time. He's not like I don't think he's like a regular attendee at this oh. particular church, so I'm not like outing it or anything. Um, but it was I was like, okay, but like, P, these people wouldn't go here if it was like bad, right? Like but they wouldn't they go here if it was bad. Because exactly. Exactly. And as I've mentioned before in other episodes, the things that really tipped me off and 
like the things that really tipped me off um, on my church's stance on queer people was one, their lack of response to my baptism email. Um, Cause also at that point too, I started reading like Rachel Held Evans and watching God is Gray and um, kind of listening to some podcasts as well. Like I'd started kind of going down the deconstruction rabbit hole, but I wasn't fully there yet. But I was like, yeah, like what's the worst that's gonna happen? They say no. And turned out the worst that could happen was they didn't say a damn thing. Um, and then the other thing that tipped me off was one of the pastors at that church worked there. She was like a pastor and she ended up, I don't, I don't, allegedly, I don't believe she got fired, but like allegedly they told her, hey, you can stay here. You just can't be in a relationship with this woman. And then she was like, uh, peace out. And then helped found the church I go to now. Um, so that happened. Cause also I think she met her wife at that church too which was like it was like a big old drama um and i'm sure people would be able to figure it out if they just googled the story like i'm sure they'll be able to find out which church it is but <laughs> i'm not gonna say it because i don't have the money to get sued right now <laughs> so i'm not gonna say anything but yeah i think from there i was like i could still keep going because i could still go stealth no one will know that was me or anything but it was also like why go to a church where I can't actually do anything or grow other than just be talked at every Sunday. Like I can't get involved. Yeah. Like you, I can't, I can't get too close to it. And you probably can't even get too involved in like the life of the community, like mm -hmm. without, you know, facing people judging you, you know, like it's just. Yeah. And I remember it was always encouraged because they would have things called life groups where they were like smaller groups that would meet like on a weekday night or whatever. And some of them were very specific to certain demographics, but some were all ages. Um, and I remember it was like pushed by my family, like, you should join life group, you should join life group. But something inside of me was like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Cause like, what if I can't be fully transparent? Cause even if my status as a queer person or my relationship never came up, even if it never came up, it would still be like, I'm still having to hide this thing. Mm -hmm around you like it doesn't matter if it never comes it up it feels like an elephant it. in the room <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and that was kind of my later church experience it's like I wasn't as involved but I think it was because I didn't want to be rejected again by a congregation yeah. and because now I had something tangible that I could be rejected like mm -hmm. a tangible thing that could make me feel rejected yeah. in a you, church you don't setting I didn't want trust. to say anything absolutely yeah and um, question for you, I guess, do your, do your parents still attend more, like, evangelical churches? Or, like, are they... They have they haven't for a while. Okay. They haven't for a while. I know that, I believe my mom was, like, tuning, like, streaming online. Because, to be quite honest, I don't... Maybe they're back in person. I don't oh, know if right. they fully are, though. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, they're going online for a little bit, but not really. I think the last mm -hmm. church service they attended was at my baptism at the beach. I think that uh. was legitimately the last service they went to, um, which wasn't even like a full on church service anyways. Um, but yeah, but then I have other family members that are still very conservative evangelicals. Um, um, yeah. On my side of things, it was mm. uh, a lot harder for me to leave the church I grew up in, I think, because yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, I was actually already like going to a different church on um on sundays while still attending this 
Um, I kept attending this young adults group, but gonna take that back for a second. Um, you know, I, I really didn't like experiment too much with um, different kinds of churches until um, the fall of my sophomore year. So this was 2017. And um, I think it was like, you know, I, I, had, I wasn't really friends with that like old roommate anymore because of all, mm-hmm. obvious like conflicts that we had. And yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, I've got to find other people to like go to different churches with, I guess. And so I had a friend who took me to this, um, this PCUSA, so that's Progressive Presbyterian uh, Church. Oh, okay. Um, and it was, it was nice, you know, definitely not what I was used to with like the very, like sort of, it, I remember like leaving and feeling like it was like so stiff. You know, because of course, if like you grew up with like these contemporary songs and styles yeah. of worship and everything, that like all this like prayer recitation and like hymns and even the sermon like just felt a little bit like off and different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't really, I didn't really go back to that church, but I did um, have a friend who took me to um, this Lutheran church down the street that actually like the, the pastor there was one of my uh, professors, religious studies professors. So, oh, cool. Um, I can give her a shout out because I love her. Uh, Kelly Derrick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, re- it was like somehow a little bit better, I guess. I don't know. I was starting to like see maybe part of the beauty in the liturgy. And of course, always a fun thing I love to share. I did not realize it was going to be real one at communion. <laughs> I went up there thinking I dipped my bread in juice and then put it in my mouth. And <laughs> I was oh like, my gosh. Oh. Okay. This is wide. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I thought that was only a Catholic thing. But even then, not even necessarily always, too. Well, like I didn't Lutherans and Episcopalians, it's real wine. Even oh like my gosh, I didn't actually. I yeah. did not know that. Granted, I've only ever been to churches that serve like the grape juice. Yeah. That is so bizarre. <laughs> I mean, and then, like, I, I was talking to her because that was before I turned, I was talking to the friend who had con with me, and I, it was before I would turn 21, and she was like, oh, yeah, there were, like, laws that you can drink alcohol for religious reasons if you're under 21. Yeah, and it's, like, so little yeah. alcohol, too. It's just, like, a little <laughs> yeah. itty-bitty cup. What type of um, body, or the body of Christ, did oh, you? loaf. Hell yeah. No. Oh, like the waste, loaf of bread? No stupid wafer for me over here, even though that is uh. like, technically <laughs> what my, my current shirt serves for communion right now because of COVID, but um, they have like little yeah. cups with the little wafer on top. Anyway. That's what my church um, is doing right now, too, is the little, yeah, the little peely on top. It's like peeling open a pudding cup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but we also used to do the loaf at the mega church I went to, but then in my childhood church, it was always pieces, pieces of like matzah, yeah, so, like it, the yeah, cracker okay, bread. Wait, that's weird evangelical I feel like that's a weird evangelical thing to like have yeah these like matzah crackers or whatever or just like thin little bits of matzah yeah 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 Um, yeah almost like a saltine but it's definitely matzah another thing is that like communion tray did you have a communion tray where people took the cups from like yeah we yeah we did because that's different than like um so for people who aren't familiar taking communion at least in the church that I grew up in, you like passed around a tray of things instead of going up to receive it from, from people. So it, yeah, it was almost that, like the offering basket, it but feels, it was the communion. It feels more individualistic, I think, to do it that way instead mm-hmm. of like walking up to receive, you know, because then you're actually receiving it from another person instead of just taking it from, you know. Yeah. Um, 
It definitely yeah, I know feels that, different, the two experiences for me. Yeah, because I know that at the mega church I went to, um, they kind of tried different things, but as the church kept getting bigger, they had to change things up. Right. So it I know be, that they started off with the... It would be hard to do that at a mega church. Yeah, like at first they did the dipping of the bread, like you would walk up and they you'd dip the bread, and they'd have a couple people holding mm-hmm. chalices of the juice, and you would go in and dip, but then the bread was kind of phased out and then it was the little crackers and then it was, and then they ended up doing like the individualistic cause it just, the church got so big that they kept kind of having to adjust. But now the church I go to, it's just, they put the little communion cup with the peely top just on everybody's chair and they just have handfuls of it available if you need it. Nice. So mainline uh, churches that I was exploring also, wait, I should probably define what mainline is. Mainline Protestant churches are a group of Protestant denominations in the United States that contrast in history and practice with evangelical, fundamentalist, and charismatic denominations, which also, you know, count as Protestant. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so basically any church that, you know, is sort of outside of that. Um, And so this is mostly, I guess, in our present day and age, um, Lutheran churches, both conservative and progressive Lutheran churches, And, you know, basically a lot of denominations now at this point have, like, a progressive version and then a conservative version that, like, you know, they split at some point. Um, You know, like, the the Southern Baptists split from another Baptist group back in, like, the 1800s because the Southern Baptist Convention supported slavery. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, that's on the evangelical side. But, um, and the UMC is probably going to split. Uh, due to okay. LGBTQ inclusion, probably going to split. Yeah, because um, that's been something talked about for years, too. Yeah, um, there are already ter- traditional, it's like the traditionalist branch that is going to be leaving the UMC, and then the UMC, I believe, is planning, or at least, I mean, it's a bit, com- it's a bit complicated because it's a global yeah. denomination, and so, like, the, you know, the, the parts of the UMC that are in Africa and other countries don't, like, they don't really want to, like, leave the UMC label, um, and so it is an interesting discussion of, like, are we, are we sort of choosing this for them that they have to, leave? I don't know, but, um, yeah. for another day, conversation for another day, um, mm-hmm. mainline Protestants, uh, yeah, the Presbyterians also have two different, um, sort of main denominations, PCUSA is progressive, PCA is conservative, it's confusing, I know, uh, <laughs> Gotcha. And, um, I guess, oh yeah, they're also main, I I would say they're, like, kind of mainline Baptists, I mean, because they're not quite, a lot of their practice doesn't quite fall into, like, the evangelical realm. Like, the, uh, I think it's called American Baptist, is, like, one of the denominations that's more, I might totally be talking out of my ass, sorry. Uh. It's just, like, so interesting, because I think a lot, the names just change so often, like, I wouldn't have considered myself... Like, people would ask, like, oh, what type of Christian are you? And I'd say Protestant. And I was like, what type of Protestant? And I was like, uh... Yeah, like, I mean, just Protestant well, is just not Catholic. And I'm like, I don't know. But it's like, I guess the closest thing would be, like, the evangelical tradition. But definitely there's some Baptist roots in there, I imagine. But it's because, yeah, like, the names change like, and what things mean change over the years, I feel too. like in, in conversations about, like, ex-evangelical evangelical identity obviously like ex-baptists have been included in that conversation so i feel like they would count as being part of the evangelical umbrella you know generally um 
but anyway, I think I think I listed most of the important. Oh wait, another important mainline church, the Episcopalian Church, of course, um, and and the um, United Church of Christ. Not yeah. Not not Church of Christ. If you see, it's just Church of Christ. That is a more conservative denomination that specifically yeah. sings a cappella in their worship. So. Oh yeah, because music isn't. Yeah allowed yeah it's the also the way i've described it to people i'm like if the church has a big pride flag outside they're probably affirming just go in (laughs) but because especially more with um non because like my church is Mm non-denominational but they're also very very affirming so it Mm -hmm. it's like i'm glad though that now you can be like okay this denomination this denomination this denomination like these are affirming denominations. You will yeah. be safe in these. Because, like, I didn't know. I thought it was, like, I always was, like, oh, it's just a crapshoot of wherever I end up, I guess. But I'm glad that now it's very yeah, no, easy to luckily, differentiate. I think, at, well, okay, in the ELCA, it definitely, technically, I think the ELCA is still at a point where churches can choose. But I think most churches have chosen to be affirming. So, mm-hmm. um, and it might be a similar deal with PCUSA. I'm not sure. Um and then Episcopalian, uh, well, it's interesting. Episcopalian definitely across the board. They left the Anglican Communion in order to become LGBTQ affirming. But yeah, there that's, are yeah. okay. But there are some pockets that are actually particularly in um, in Illinois. One of my former housemates talked about how, I um, mean, in her college town, her Episcopalian church was not affirming. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, because yeah. I was never sure what to tell people. I was like, for the most part, Episcopalian seems to be affirming, but there it's just, always like, I are, guess, check with your local are, church. Yeah, there are a few pockets and a few, like, even actually a few bishops that are, like, not, they're not into it, but, um, mm. but in general, yeah. Um, and um, anyway, so yeah, that's the dis- my discussion about I guess, what the mainline Protestant churches are in the United States today. Um, and I was, you know, starting to sort of, uh, I guess it was mostly that Lutheran church for, like, fall semester of sophomore year. And then, of course, that was, you know, and that part of, uh, that at the end of my fall semester, I was starting to realize that I was queer. And so, you know, I, oh, and I had already, so... Over Thanksgiving break, so a little bit before that, uh, I talked to my parents and I was like, oh, I know you guys like aren't going to that, that church anymore, the church I grew up in. And so I was like, well, how about we search for another church? I, I told my parents, let's search for a new church. And I thought this was going to be a long season of like church shopping that would take a while to get sort of the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we sort of, my mom picked out this church that we would go to the, the Sunday after I got back uh, for winter break. Um, and it was only, like, three days before we, we went to that church, uh, that I, like, came out to myself and a few friends, uh, and so I was, like, dealing with that, and so then I'm so glad that the first church I entered after that experience was affirming. Well, okay, uh, a bit complicated because it's a UMC, um, well, it's a UMC, and so technically at the time it wasn't, it hadn't technically sort of, um, in the UMC in order to be called affirming in, with the current structured as things are because it's like the denominational policy is technically not affirming but you can um go through a process with a nonprofit that is not technically connected to the umc but like it's a method it's a umc organization <laughs> called yeah. uh, reconciling ministries network 
Um, and so if you become a reconciling congregation, oh, okay. that like that shows that you're affirming. It's, it's really just a matter of language. Like you can't say that you're affirming, but you can say that you're reconciling. The church that I actually, I still attend, um, that we first attended, I guess almost four years ago, uh, Crossroads United Methodist Church in Ashburn, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, it technically hadn't gone through that process at the time, but I mean, I just like, when I walked in and heard the message and the worship, I like, I just knew there was something in my, in my body that like knew that this was a safe place. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, and like my, uh, I mean, the pastor gave this really good message about like embodying Jesus's love, you know, like, and so just even like hearing words like that, like embodying things in, like yeah. like that in church was a really good thing. And we sang, um, we sang Oceans, which, you know, technically the people who wrote that song, I don't know. I don't actually know who like wrote those words and what they believe about queer people. But, you know, the likelihood is that at least at the time when they wrote it, they probably didn't affirm queer people. Yeah, I know um, Oceans is a hill song. Yeah, song. it is. Um, yeah. yeah, Oceans by Hillsong is what I'm talking about. And... You know, what's interesting is that I have heard, like, quite a few queer people who talk about that song as, like, actually being, you know, they are able to reclaim it particularly because it feels like it's talking about the process of coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you call me out upon the waters where feet may fail, um, and there I find you in the mystery and oceans deep my faith will stand. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and so I really resonated with that whole experience. Um, And yet, you know, the very next day... I went to this, uh, it was the uh, Young Adults Night Holiday Dance at the church I grew up in. And, you know, what was interesting is that I, it was the first time I was in that church context and realized I was queer. And, like, I realized that I was attracted to some of the women around me. Uh, and that just uh. felt very, very weird because, of course, it was like I really felt like I couldn't really be myself. I mean, I was, like, talking to these ladies, but obviously I couldn't come off as, like, flirtatious, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, and I still, I actually, like, kept going to that young adults group for a while. I mean, I still, you know, was going, actually, yeah, it was, uh, shortly after that I went off to Paris, and so obviously when I was Paris I wasn't attending that church, but I did, I did choose to, uh, attend an evangelical church in Paris. Huh. Um, yeah, it's weird. You know, I just like come out to myself and then it's like, let's just choose an evangelical church. And I think it's because like, you know, someone around me I knew was going to be unfamiliar. And so I think I wanted something familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I still enjoyed like the contemporary worship music there. And, you know, at least on their website, talking about clarity, they were up front that they did believe in like complementarianism and, you know, these other yeah. sorts of conservative things. So, like, I knew what I was getting into. And I also was like, I'm not coming out yet was sort of my, like, thought process. I was like, I don't need to be out yet. I don't need to, like, I don't need to worry about this at this church that I'm going to be attending for, like, three months. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and I But I did get involved in the community. I had, I attended, like, a small group. And I enjoyed it, though. Now I look back on it and see that there was, like, one point in time I was during the small group they were like talking about homosexuality and I just awkwardly mm. just like sat there and it's like yeah those people <laughs> I mean yeah and I had I guess some good experiences and made some friends and in fact I met at that church I met the first Christian that I ever came out to um wow oh yeah oh yes wait okay 
so what Anna's remembering is the um, coming out episode that we made for our Patreon, which I just think, I think we can maybe do um, a re-record for, to, to make public at some point, just because I say re-record because I said too many real names in that episode, so we can't just release that. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this, um, this, I guess, man that I came out to because he was, he was an adult, you know, we were both college students. Um, you know, I had gotten pretty close to him over the course of the semester and, um, you know, and I had already seen that he was sort of more progressive on some things. Like he actually, I once asked him if he thought women could be pastors and he said yes, but then he did ultimately think that like being gay is a sin, but like now we're still like friends on Facebook and he likes some of my posts. So like, I don't fucking know, maybe my story made a difference, but yeah. Um, anyway, I get back to, um, America in, like, the spring of 2018, and I'm like, I'm not an evangelical anymore. I mean, I had already sort of, while I was in Paris, I, I, di I discovered the exvangelical hashtag on Twitter, um, and the sort of community yeah. gathering there around that word, and I, I really resonated with it. I was like, yeah, I, like, resonate with what people are saying, um, and so I was just sort of like, oh, I'm not an evangelical anymore but then I was like I just maybe I want to like try to still attend this church for a little bit longer to make some kind mm. of difference you know like I'm I'm just, I'm attending this affirming church on Sundays and I'm getting filled by that so I can maybe do some of the work through this young adults group um and ultimately of course it was like at, by the end of the summer I was like I cannot do this anymore like yeah just when I tried to come out to someone who I thought was like a close friend it went really badly and so, and he was like in leadership at the church. So I was like, I, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to, this isn't going to do anything. Um, I was like, you know, the best thing to do would just be to like leave and try to build up community elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then I guess junior year, I didn't really go to church a lot that semester, but I did go to the Evolving Faith Conference, uh, Evolving Faith yeah. 20, 2018. I got <sighs> to hear, I got to hear Rachel Held Evans, one of her last um, one of her last speaking engagements, uh, um, yeah. and I got, I mean, it just, um, one of the first songs that we sang during the worship was a, a version of, um, Down to the River to Pray that, uh, Rachel had changed some of the words. She said things like, um, come on doubters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. And, uh, sometimes the word wow. was survivors, uh, sometimes the word was, uh, I feel like also she maybe did, uh, she all maybe also alternated with like brothers and sisters. Um, I, and I, I think a critique is that the word siblings wasn't used, but in, in general, you know, it was a really beautiful thing what she was trying to do with that. And, um, yeah. That's and incredible. then hearing, hearing Audrey Assad sing, um, oh. her, uh, if you, you need, if you haven't looked it up, you need to look up the song, um, Eden on her live album, the live version is basically okay. the, is basically the version that I heard at the conference that she performed. Okay. Because um, the 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 non live arrangement is a bit different and more like electronic, and that's nice. But I I really like the piano version. Um, okay. It's a really beautiful song, and I like was like you know writing down some of the lyrics as I was listening. Uh, she also performed a song called Wildflower, which she has never released her own recording of, but um, <sighs> she has. Um, she has, she gave it, I think she kind of gave it to another artist, uh, Sarah Kroger. So if you want to hear okay. the song Wildflower, that's by Sarah Kroger. 
but it does say that she, you know, produced it on the track. Um, um, yeah, and I, I got to actually take uh, communion from Sarah Bessie, which is like uh, a crowning I'm achievement so jealous. in my life. <laughs> I actually, I, she also got to, I had her like sign my book and then I was like, you know, your work like helped me realize that I want to like be a minister. And she was like, woman of valor. And she kissed my cheek and oh my <gasps> God. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And I just, I met so many incredible people that like the whole experience was just like this whole, like after I'd been so like empty for several months after like not attending any church, um, I, I felt so, so full, like with all of the amazing like amazing actual fellowship fellowship without like shaming and without all the all the petty christian bullshit you know just us yeah. people sharing their stories with one another and um and like there was uh you know there was a beautiful liturgy before communion where like you know um it, it was made clear that like there was no way that you could come to the table like uh, improperly that that was like there's a there's verses of paul that people try to use as a weapon to be like you can't take communion if you've done this sin or something you know and like it was made clear that like no you just you just come to the table like yeah um and i thought the liturgy i remember it being really pretty and actually i wonder if i ever kept the booklet but um and yeah i i attended Oh yeah, I guess that semester I also attended an Episcopal church for the first time. Still felt a bit stiff, but you know, we're getting there. Um, yeah. Um, uh, sort of kept going to an Episcopal church and that was actually, yeah, after I came out, I attended, um, and the day after I came out, because I came out on a Saturday, I attended an Episcopal church and like, um, people were getting baptized and so the congregation repeated the baptismal covenant because that's what happens when people are baptized in an Episcopal church. Um, oh, cool. And I thought the the liturgy of that was so beautiful. You know, I love like all the baptismal covenants of the different denominations. I think they're really pretty. Yeah. And it was so wonderful to be able to like go up and get communion and be able to be my complete self before God and myself and like, wow, yeah. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I wish I, my past self could have known that. It's like, you know, day after you came out, you went to church yeah. the next yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> With an, a fellow yeah. queer person, so. That's um, amazing. Um, yeah, so we're getting into, I guess, more of, like, the fully discovering, like, mainline churches and thriving in them, you know? Like, I, I really thrive at... Um, uh, I'm currently living in my hometown. I'm moving back to Seattle next year, but, you know, I really thrive in... <laughs> Uh, in the church, you know, I'm all, currently on the worship team uh, and getting involved in the like, youth ministry and stuff. Um, and actually, well, maybe after you talk a little bit about like yeah. discovering your mainline or not, I guess maybe not mainline, but uh, after discovering your affirming churches, uh, I'll talk a bit about uh, when I got confirmed in the UMC. But first, yeah, you can talk about Yeah, that. for sure. Um, so after the baptism fiasco, it wasn't a fiasco, it was so lackluster. Um, after the whole baptism thing, I really stopped going to church and I was kind of, I, I guess I wasn't going to church, but I was still growing in my faith because that was really when I fell down the deconstruction rabbit hole. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to read all these books. I read Nadia Bowles-Weber. I read Does Jesus Really Love Me by Jeff Chu, um, which is a fantastic book. Um, 
I watched, I like was, would listen to God is Grey and then like she would bring up people that inspired her and then I'd find interviews with those people. So like in a way, even though I wasn't in a church building anymore, I kept finding ways to mm-hmm. grow in my faith and then I was like, right. oh my gosh, right. all these okay, things. Okay, wait, sorry, yeah. side note. Definitely when I say like the different times I wasn't going to church in college because of whatever reasons, whether I was busy or just didn't want to go or whatever, like I was also, yeah, listening to a lot of podcasts and like yeah you know reading and like i just sometimes like i would procrastinate on doing english papers by researching theology so yeah and like that's the thing though is like because that like specifically god is great because like and i say there were obviously people before her but she was kind of the one Mm -hmm. that started my deconstruction journey she wasn't a thing when i was in college and then i joined this lesbian christian facebook group but it was all women who were a lot older and quite a few of them were side b or we're in lavender marriages and stuff like that too. And I was just like, there's no one out there um, for me. What? Like, just because I was like, there's like, and I think I mentioned this in the Angel Nicole episode was that I was like, oh my gosh, the only Christian lesbian out there is Vicky Beeching. Like, mm-hmm. is she the only one that exists? And then it's just me. It's just the two of us. <laughs> and obviously that was not the case. Um, that, that wasn't the case. But it, that's just, it just goes to show that there were so many more like, even in, in just a few years' time, there's so many more resources available mm-hmm. there and are so, so many, much more there visibility. There's so many more resources in terms of finding an affirming church, you know? We have, like, gay, gaychurch.com or .net. I think maybe .org. Oh, we okay. can check. We'll put, it in the, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put in all of the links in terms of finding affirming churches because you deserve it, okay? I Let's yeah. just, okay, quick conversation about, like, should people, there's the question, should people try to stay in the, these non-affirming cha- churches to try and change them? Like, no, I don't know. I mean, I think there has to be a Unless certain... they own your soul for some reason, then no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the better thing is, like, go and start... And, like, I understand if you can't... Oh. Right. Well, I mean, I say, you know, you can get to the thing about, like, the stipulations about whether you can leave or not, but, like, you know, you should... The better yeah, thing is to, The better thing is to go and start, like, new, better community that is outside of the hierarchy of leadership that probably already exists in that non-affirming church, you know, that is, like, probably not going to change uh, unless, you know, they die out. I'm old age. I'm old age. I'm not wishing, like, death on anyone, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, you know, the better thing is to try to create new and better communities elsewhere um, because, you know, if there yeah. are other people who, like, are thinking they kind of want to leave but they're maybe too afraid, if they see you leave and they see you starting a better community, they might join it, you know? So it's like empty those yeah. views and then build up new ones. Yeah. Yeah. And also similarly, because I can also go into this a little bit more too, is if there's one blessing from this pandemic is that a lot of churches went online and mm-hmm. a lot of progressive and affirming denominations who believe in science, turns out that Venn diagram is almost a perfect circle, mm-hmm. are still broadcasting online as well as in person. Mm-hmm. So even if the church isn't where you live or it could be in a different state entirely or different country, there's still ways that you can go find affirming communities mm-hmm. even if you can't go to them in person, even though that would be ideal. But there are ways to find virtual community yeah, with that as there well. there are also, like, organizations that have virtual communities. Like, I know, actually, Anna, you are leading, you're leading a group for Q Christian Fellowship, right? Yeah, we just finished our Bible study group. Um, it was on John 3 through 5, um, and we just finished that last week, and I can't 
host another community group till after conference is over. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I initially had signed up to lead another coming out group, and then I got my schedule, and I was like, oh, no, it's on one of the days I worked because I got my new job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, gosh, it's on one of the days I work. And I emailed the one who puts the community groups together, and I was like, hey, can I be popped into another group? Or if you need to add another one, I can do that. But if not, like, I'm so sorry, I'm going to have to step down. And they were really, really understanding about it. They're like, all good, just make sure you email your other group leaders. And it was I was fortunate enough that the group that I had been stuck into already had two group leaders, like, mm-hmm. it would have been three of us. So I emailed the two of them being like, I'm so, so sorry, I got a new job, it conflicts. Um, but I can't wait to hear about it and everything. And they were really understanding about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm still able to go to conference as well. And I don't know if I said this in a good news segment, but I'll say, I guess I'll save it and for the good news afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like even through that, I've been able to meet people like from literally all over the world. Like I've had, mm-hmm. I've met someone who lives in China, someone who lives in Singapore, someone who lives in Canada. Like mm-hmm. it's just, there are ways to meet people from all over the world. Like our friend Brianna lives in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, Not the like one we interviewed, just want to make that clear. Yeah, different, yeah, different Brianna, sorry. Yeah, different <laughs> Brianna. She lives in South Korea. And, like, even through conference meeting, I think I met someone who lives in, I want to say, Paraguay or Uruguay. Mm-hmm. Like, somewhere in South America, like, in mm-hmm. this remote village. It was just, like, incredible, like, because mm-hmm. you can find that. If, you can find that community if you have the internet access. You can find those communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and I guess it's kind of going into how I found the church I go to now. Mm-hmm. Shout out to New Abbey in Pasadena. They are also online if you ever want to go. Um it's actually very funny how I found out about this church. So mm-hmm. before the pandemic started, I was on a dating app <laughs> and I met someone who was like, "Yeah, I go to this church called New Abbey and it's in North Hollywood because they also had had a North Hollywood branch as well." Um mm-hmm. They've, they're still friends, but they're not technically a part of it. It's, like, complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, yeah, I go to this affirming church called New Abbey, and I went on a date with this girl a couple times, and, like, pandemic ended up happening, so we did not end up dating further. But we're still uh, friends now. Um, so, uh, Beth, if you listen to this, thank you for introducing mm-hmm. New Abbey to me. I super-duper appreciate it. Um, but at that point, I kind of didn't have time to go, and then I didn't want to go online. And then another queer Christian that I'd met on a dating app previously to that was like, hey, I'm hosting a small group through New Abbey. And I was like, oh, is there room for me? Like, I haven't gone to the church or anything, but can I join? And she was like, yeah, of course. So I ended up joining that small group. And then from there, I started going to New Abbey online. Um, And that's kind of the thing with online church, too, is if you have sort of anxiety or trauma surrounding being in church spaces, Mm -hmm. that's that I had that too. Um, and I think the joy of, and the magic of being able to go to an online church is if you're uncomfortable, you can turn your computer off and nobody will know. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to be weird. Like, Oh, it'll be weird if I walk out or it'll be weird. Like I don't want to make a stink. I'll just stay and be uncomfortable. It's like, Nope, you can just quit the window and you don't have, you ever have to go back. Um, and that's, I think kind of what made it a lot more comfortable for me was I didn't have to be my best self when I went. I could just literally log on and be cool with it. And then I started, when they started opening in person, I started going in person from there. But it's just funny that um, 
the two people that really got me into this church um, were people I had met on dating apps where like one person where it was like, I think we is the only time Tinder had ever been successful for me it was like we swiped on each other and we weren't even like considering going on a date. It was more like, hey, let's like talk about church things. And we ended up getting lunch and like talking mm -hmm. about church things and like starting up a Bible study and stuff. And that was just like, nice. I just think it's funny that like that was how I got introduced to the church I go to now is through <laughs> dating apps. Mm -hmm. So for me, and you also, uh, do you want to talk about your baptism at all before I yeah okay. so yeah so my church i guess new abbey was not doing baptisms previously like they hadn't granted they're still a relatively new church they're only a few years old and they're in a crossfit gym so it's not even like they have a space like their own space let, or, mm -hmm. let alone like a baptismal pool um and so our pastor was like i've been getting a lot of emails from people that want to get baptized um and i want to make that happen for people and so they announced that they were going to be doing baptisms at the beach. And I signed up as soon as I could. I was like, oh my gosh, I could finally get baptized. Um, and I signed up and it was incredible because I also ha know the pastor knows my name. Mm -hmm. Like the people in leadership at the church know who I am. And after having gone to mega churches for so long mm -hmm. or being known because I was so-and-so's kid, mm -hmm. it was just cool that like, oh, this person knows me as me like I'm not related to somebody I'm not just a face in a crowd like like and people knows your like, story too. and they know my story and it was just really incredible like that that was the environment that I was getting baptized into mm -hmm. um and I loved it like my parents went my girlfriend went um it was it was just amazing it was it, it was funny because like for myself and the pastor like we were walking out to the middle of the ocean he's like is it dow hair right i'm like yeah it's dow hair he's like cool i just wanted to make sure and, and so like yeah and then i got that there are pictures on my instagram i believe of me getting dunked under um also fun thing that happened that day was as soon as i got pulled up after the baptism a massive wave came up behind us and knocked me out and i basically like <laughs> fell to the ocean floor and nice. i was like completely like ducked underwater you got I was super just baptized <laughs> i got super baptized i got knocked out by the holy spirit and i was like just combobulated just be like yay i did it and, like kind of like dizzily walking back <laughs> to the shore <laughs> but then that ended up happening to like every like the waters just got choppier and choppier as the day went on i was just the first one that got knocked out and then like everyone else subsequently was like getting knocked out by the waves well, but it was it was incredible and now like i get asked to sometimes help with the children's ministry oh, cool. and like i'll get the texts of like hey can you help us set up and tear down and stuff or like do you want to come to this social thing or and like I obviously don't have time a lot of like lately I've been so busy I just haven't been able to but it's like it's awesome to go to a church where people know who I am they know my story and they're like, like I don't enthusiastic about you getting involved yeah I th and I think that's amazing and like I've brought my girlfriend a few times too and she really loves it um and I've gone to her church she goes to it or she was going to a UCC mm -hmm. um and I've I got to go to the blessing of the animals ceremony so oh, we nice. got her dog blessed by the pastor, um, which is really cool. Um, and I think it also is helpful that my partner is Christian as well, because it's like, sorry, I have to go to church. Like, uh, like I'm busy, but it's like, cool. Cause she's like, Oh cool. Like I'll go if I'm free. Like it's, mm -hmm. I just think that's also really 
helped mm-hmm. as well as having someone yeah. who's enthusiastically willing to support that. So yeah, that's been awesome. Um, I'm glad that your baptism experience was good. You know, mine was of course by my high school youth pastor who, mm-hmm. you know, if he were to probably meet me now, he would not, you know, yeah, you know, for various reasons, he wouldn't affirm my faith or my identity and, you know, but, yeah. you know, I got to have a good experience of like, sort of in a way, like the mainline Protestant version of like what baptisms are in the evangelical world, like yeah. com- confirmation, um, you know, confirmation is like the, the, where you outwardly show your faith as well, usually a teenager in, in mainline Protestant churches. But for me, it was just like this, um, well, let me first start off with like how I found out about this church that I ended up being formed yeah. in the church in my college town. Um, and I'm quickly checking time. This is going to be a long episode. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, um, anyway, so I, I thought that um, going into my senior year, I was like, I'll probably just keep attending this Episcopalian church. It's nice. Um, but then it actually sort of ended up happening that like the people who I was going with weren't really necessarily going there anymore. Um, and I was like, well, oh, okay. I don't know what I'm going to do. But then, you know, um, the... Um, well, actually, okay, I guess technically the religious community sphere happened before I knew that that I didn't have a ride, but I was still just like, oh, so I won't go to the religious community sphere this year. Um, it's uh, at my university, Holland's University. Uh, they had it every year, like these, these, um, these booths, they'd show up with these booths, and these different faith communities, um, you know, of like all kinds, you know, there was like a, I remember there was like a non-affirming Baptist church that has a booth there. I don't know mm-hmm. if it, well, I don't know if they still do that. I know that Jenny was, uh, the university chaplain at the time, Jenny was trying to make sure that it was mostly affirming communities that she invited to the event. Um, gotcha. And, um, you know, I was just like, oh, I won't go this year because I've got, yeah, this Episcopal church. But, um, but then I just happened to like, um, I was getting my lunch and then I saw that like the right u- usual cafeteria was like all full. And so I was like, oh, I'll go downstairs. And I didn't, I forgot. I was like, oh, it's the religious community. It's very well. I'll just walk past all these booze. They were like trying to talk to me and just like eat my lunch. Um, and so then I just, I was getting up to leave. And then I saw, I looked in the corner of my eye and I saw this like UMC with like a rainbow. And I was like, wait, what? I thought there wasn't any like affirming um, UMCs in the Roanoke Valley. It turns out there are two out of like 60. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just happened to like see the yeah see their sign, and I immediately walked over. I was like wearing one of my cruelly beloved tees, um, and like the um, it was the the people who were manning the booth were at the time the music director and the youth pastor, and he was like, "Oh, I love your shirt," and I was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Oh, I don't have a car. Like, you'd have to figure out a ride." And so they did. They figured out my ride situation, and <laughs> I started going every week. I, I, they made me join the choir. Well, okay, yeah, I got roped into <laughs> joining the choir the first week I was there. The very first week, I sang in the choir, <laughs> um, and you know, I just, I sort of loved being in the choir. Like this, you know, it was a very sort of scrappy, small. UMC in Southern Virginia, and, um, you know, the, the choir director, she was sometimes very frazzled and chaotic, but she, she enjoyed that I was able to, to add a voice to the choir, since not a lot of people really wanted to do it, but, (laughs) um, and, um, I started really connecting with the people there, like, these church ladies absolutely loved me, and were, like, talking me up, and, 
um, it was in, I guess, January where I was really starting to like just get involved. I was joining this like ladies group. I was the youngest person there, you know, but I loved hanging out with these church ladies on like Friday nights. Um, we would, you know, have food and yeah. So in, in January, I got to actually, the only time I got to actually attend the choir practice on Wednesday nights, cause I, I was able to like go to choir practice the morning of and usually learn the songs pretty well, but technically I was, I would normally have had to go to choir practice on Wednesday nights, except I had a Wednesday night class both semesters, mm -hmm. my senior year. Um, uh, and so I was able to really start connecting more to th people through that. And I was really, um, the, the couple that drove me to church, the fields, uh, Vivian and Peter are just so lovely. And they sort of like, when I told them that I didn't have living grandparents, they were like, oh, we can be your grandparents. Um, oh. <laughs> and, uh, there was also just like always amazing like food that people brought to like eat before the service um and there were there it was also um pretty traditional umc in the sense that they had some um sunday school classes for adults in the mornings and so i would attend those um and the worship was mostly liturgical which i was starting to just really enjoy it was like it was like it was something that was different it was good that it was a different thing from what i had grown up with yeah um, because of like the sort of negative disillusionment that I had with church and everything. Um, but then they did sometimes sing contemporary songs like Oceans um, and like other yeah. music um, along with that. And I sometimes got to like sing some songs that I really liked uh, for the congregation, um, like the song um, Your Peace Will Make Us One by Audrey Assad. Really amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't really expecting to, like, be confirmed in the OMC yet because they hadn't made and still haven't made, you know, the decision um, to become fully affirming, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, because I was like, oh, I don't want to, like, step into this, you know, if, like, it's, you know. But, my, I mean, I think my anxiety about, like, non-affirming yeah. churches was coming into play here. Like, I don't want to try to go too far into leadership and then find out like there's going to be blocks in the way. Yeah. Um, which is totally understandable too. Yeah. Um, but I was like, you know, I love this church and like me being confirmed to this church would just be a reflection of like the commitment and love that I already have towards it. Um, mm -hmm. and so I had a meeting with the pastor and actually, I think technically I like told him that we were meeting about talking about a uh, discernment for my, uh, service career. I ended up yeah. being an Episcopal service corps, and that also had positive church experiences, which I'm not going to be able to say because this is too long an episode anyway, but, <laughs> um, um, you know, I was talking to him, and then I just sort of, like, I think I just, well, I was I was maybe kind of planning on it, but I just sort of brought up, I was like, you know, I want to join the church, and he was like, oh, great, we'd be thrilled, um, and, uh, you know, he was like, oh, have you been baptized yet, and I said, yeah, and so he's like, okay, so you're just being confirmed coming from, like, a different, um, a different denomination. <laughs> a funny thing he asked, he's like, oh, do we need to send, like, a letter to your previous church that, like, you're joining this one? Because that's something that Methodists do, like, when you're... Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I was like, no, I don't need to, because I was never, like, a formal member of, like, the church that I actually grew up in. Um, right. Um, yeah, so I just filled out some paperwork and then I, I got to choose the date of my confirmation and of course I chose uh, February 23rd which marked one year since I came out um, oh that's amazing and um, I was able to give a little like speech at my confirmation because actually 
he was already, the youth pastor was giving the sermon that day and he already had planned on having some of the youth speak. And so he sort of had me speak after them. I was able to like share my story. And then after that, I got, you know, so many hugs and it felt like this great, you know, it was this great moment of like, you know, finding this amazing community. Um, I think that there are, you know, some things about when you're first like deconstructing and then trying out different churches, I think mainline or just even if in general affirming churches can seem like utopias and like they're not, you know, they have their issues too, particularly like a lot of folk, like around like white supremacy and racism. Like, I mean, these, these churches are still, I mean, like the Lutheran, the ALCA is like the whitest church in America. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I have on my bookshelf, Dear Church by Lenny Duncan. He's a um, pastor in the ELCA, which is considered to be the whitest church in America. But um, oh, gosh, yeah. there's also lots of bureaucracy, particularly in the UMC, dear God. That's why they can't really <laughs> easily become affirming because of just like the bureaucracy and the yeah. globalization of the church. Um, you know, I mean, the, the Episcopal Church had to deal with a lot of bureaucracy when it was... Um, leaving the Anglican communion. So, mm, gotcha. but in general, you know, it's obviously a whole lot better, you know, than non-affirming church <laughs> because you get to ultimately, like you get to be honest with yourself and God and other people. And, um, you get to have a community that actually has your back and isn't going to, that's actually going to love you like Jesus would. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's why I think we should be divesting our resources into, building those communities up because I think, you know, we're, these are the churches that are going to survive because I mean, uh, you know, um, attendance is declining across all denominations, but I think that's because maybe, you know, the churches that are forming are sometimes harder to catch with statistics and, you know, and there are also people who are like, who do even might, might even identify as Christian, but aren't necessarily taking part in like a traditional church community. So. Yeah, because sadly, like, cr- especially evangelical American mm-hmm. Christianity has become, I guess it, in, it always was a tool of white supremacy, but it's so blatant now, and it's such mm-hmm. a blatant, like, thing of yeah. fascism and Trumpism, and, like, that, it's like, it was always the case, like, especially if you were behind the closed doors, that was always the case, but it's become so prevalent in, like, mainstream culture and they're angry because mm-hmm. like they're gonna lose that culture the quote-unquote mm-hmm. culture war and that's why they're so mad and being so loud about it like no wonder people may not want to say that they're christian because they don't identify with that mm-hmm. like nobody wants to maybe some people do but most people don't want to identify with that aspect of christianity so i completely understand why people would be leaving in droves if mm-hmm. that is who they have who they're being associated with because there is that guilt by association and i know that it's definitely in the plan in our planning doc to have a christo fascism that's Jan- yeah. january probably yes next oh yeah yeah, yeah so because of course we're gonna i mean you know in terms of defining that you can give all these academic definitions but honestly like just just look at january 6th like 2021 mm-hmm. you know yeah <laughs> so that's why we're gonna have an episode about that in january um i was oh yeah so in terms of that, all you know, all these discussions about like you know, not only are people leaving evangelical churches, there are people who talk about how the mainline church is dying. Um, there's a lot of interesting writing about that from um, Diana Butler Bass. I haven't actually read a lot of it, but um, 
So, but I would point you towards that if you're interested in mm-hmm. her talking about how she has a lot of hope for the mainline church, um, despite numbers of, you know, decline and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And I think that sometimes, you know, in the wake of like the death and decline of certain churches, there is still hope for like new kinds of communities to form. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes me excited to see what affirming communities form mm-hmm. as a result of the turmoil. Yeah. Um, if Do you have any more conclusions to share, or do you want to go to High of the Week? I think I'm good. I feel like we got, we talked about so many different things, and I'm sure, this like, like our as soon episode. as... <laughs> I think so, and I'm sure as soon as we are finished recording, I'll think of a hundred more things to talk about. But we can guarantee that the next episode won't be another, like, Church Part 3 episode. We'll have some other fun things in store. But I guess, yeah, we can go into high of the week. Um, Did you want to start? Sure. Um, So the thing is, we're actually, like, we're recording this, like, three days after we did our last um, outro where we talked about (laughs) high of the week. Um, So, um, hmm. Trying to think about. Uh, oh, I guess I didn't. I didn't say this. Um, on Sunday in church, I got to share like some of my story again to this to to the church I'm currently attending, and oh, I got yeah. so many people who came up and like hugged me and were like, "Thank you for sharing your story." Um, you know, it, and I just I sometimes really it's good to get that reminder that it's still like it does make a difference to people. You know, like sometimes yeah. I do get like cynical about like, you know, I'm like if I'm mostly just in spaces that are already affirming and even like this podcast I, I I don't know how what kind of people it's reaching you know but it's like even even if I'm just in progressive spaces sharing my story still can make a difference you know yeah absolutely so, yeah yeah it's fantastic yeah my high of the week and granted this happened a few weeks ago but like April was saying we're recording this a couple <laughs> days after recording a different high of the week um and I guess I brought it up before is um, I'm going to be at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference this year in Albuquerque. So if you're going to be there, uh, and I know you, obviously I know you, we're friends. We can meet in person. Um, if I don't know you, please come up to me and say hi. I want to be yeah, your friend. If, you, if um, you're a listener, we want to meet our yeah. listeners. Oh my God. Yes, please. Um, and I guess the good news of that is initially, like, I was on a um, payment plan because it is pricey especially when it comes to staying in a hotel because it's not local for me like getting a hotel room and like getting a flight and you know all the accoutrements of going to a conference um I was on a payment plan and I had been since January but recently uh the head of the um, community groups reached out and was like hey um one of the people that was going to lead this affinity gathering which is like the gatherings they have with specific communities like dropped out of the community group Mm. leader one would you be willing to help lead a meetup for community group leaders you'll get a full scholarship for it and I was like yes oh my so god so I you got like I a get to go too. I get, basically got a reimbursement for everything I had paid the only thing I'm paying for for conference this year is my flight um and that was taken wow. care of months ago so I'm first of all very excited that uh, I now have a little extra money in the bank account, but also it's just I'm excited to be able to lead a group of other community That's group so leaders. Cool. Um, and I'm sure April can attest. We met so many amazing people at conference mm-hmm. um, virtually, and while I might not be able to meet every single person that I met last year, this year, sadly, 
Um, I'm very excited to oh, meet I also, some of the friends. I also won't yeah. be there, but I'll be there in spirit with you because you'll be uh, in the podcast. <laughs> I know. And you know what? We'll maybe work out something for 2023 where we can go and stuff. Because that would be awesome. Because they do have like a podcast stage there and everything too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Anyways, that is my good news is that I'm able to go and I'm, I was able to get a full scholarship. So yeah, that's my good news. Yay. Um, well, we will see you guys in the next episode, which we were so excited for. Yeah. Our first po- uh, collaboration with another podcast, uh, Couch Communion. So, mm-hmm. yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, we can't wait for it. And, of course, as per usual, uh, please follow us on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Um, if you would like to donate to our Patreon, you are more than welcome to do so. Um, and, of course, uh, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you're able to, because um, it does help boost us in the algorithm. But even you just being here and listening is more than we could have asked for. So thank you so, so, so much for that. And we cannot wait to have a conversation with Couch Communion. Also, listen to some of their stuff, too, if you're so inclined, uh, before our next episode. See y'all. Bye.